you'd think the one thing they'd be able to really get right, given their budget and limitations, is invisible people. <laughs> <laughs> They're relatively cheap to photograph. Welcome to Talking Beasts from NarniaWeb.com, where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis and keep a watchful eye on the latest Narnia movie news. This is Talking Beasts. Welcome back. I'm Glum Puddle. And I'm Jim Fan. <laughs> and it's Rillian. Yeah, it's the last, two, last couple times you've <laughs> done this grand intro, so I had to do something. So. <laughs> That's what the I got. The one, the only, really. We hope. <laughs> We're on to episode three of BBC's Voyage of the Dawn Treader TV miniseries. We had a bit of a cliffhanger ending to the previous podcast episode about the cliffhanger ending of the previous Dawn Treader episode <laughs> uh, regarding Rillian's scarred childhood or something like that regarding the sea serpent. More of a deprived childhood. Deprived of this BBC Sea Serpent, which yes. you somehow either saw and somehow forgot, or no, you no, just never I saw because I've seen this multiple times, uh, and it was so much better than the Prince Gaspin BBC. I had seen this. I liked it more than Land of the Wardrobe BBC, so I've seen this multiple times. And so you saw an edit of it that didn't have the sea serpent. I saw an edit that excluded the sea serpent, and so here I am reviewing it, and I'm sitting there on my couch watching on my phone going, what? I wish I'd <laughs> seen your reaction to that. Cause oh, my goodness. Especially because the sea serpent pops out of the water saying, what? Okay, so you, you've been saying for a long time, oh, yeah, Dawn Treader BBC, that's that adaptation. Oh, yeah, that, they you know, always cut out the sea serpent. So yeah. now that you've seen the sea serpent, did it live up to, like, literally decades of anticipation on your part? <laughs> now that you've so... seen the long-lost BBC. stupid. It was like Monty Python. <laughs> it might as well have been a... It's only a model. I mean, it's like Monty Python's anglerfish, like... <laughs> you know? Like... You know, and I, I appreciate them trying to keep true to the book where the Reaper Sheik saying, you know, push. And then, you know, the sea serpent after it's picking its head out of the water, it was like the, like the creature in the Death Star, you know, <laughs> looking around, you know, because it's confused. It's you like, know? where was it? Oh, no, my goodness. Honestly, my biggest complaint with the sea serpent scene actually is the transition because... It's like all of a sudden you're like, dun, 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 dun. oh yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like it's this giant fish right head there. popping out of the water, and it's just you're right in the midst of it. It's not really like okay, fine, leave that as the cliffhanger, but then give a little bit of lead up. It's a bit weird. Cody pointed out, and it's in your notes too, uh, Jim, that the sea serpent is defeated. Uh, before the opening credits are even over yet. <laughs> I know. I was watching it today. I did not what... notice that. Yeah, no, literally Holy the hell. credits are rolling and this battle is going on. And you're like, wait, is this like the like the little like appetizer prior to the episode? <laughs> what is going on here? It's like the little James like the little James Bond mission at the beginning that doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the plot, <laughs> which I guess it kind of is. But, but that's a common thing though with these BBC versions is like you'll be going you'll be looking at like the timer running out and you're like 
huh what kind of cliffhanger is it this two minutes left oh nope useless is going to be transformed in those in 90 seconds okay <laughs> yeah th- that said i mean i thought like the previous episode it's still even though obviously it was super rushed especially at the end it had an arc it had oh it's it starts with useless stealing the water it, it ends with useless being redeemed um, so it's got a sense of an arc, whereas this one is so all over the place. It's crazy. I I also feel like the fact that this episode started with the serpent battle is really just, it's just a great precursor to just the insane amount of weird that this episode is. Like, and stuff in general. It's just everything is, like, I would like to say this is, like, the weirdest thing that happens in this episode, but it's really not. Well, but, well, in, in fairness, Don Treader book has a lot of weird stuff in it. It does. Th- but this was, like, especially weird. Does, sea ser- does the sea serpent look fake? Of course it looks fake. Does it look? Do I see what you're saying when you say Monty Python? Yes, of course I see what you're saying. <laughs> do I think that the sea serpent looked kind of genuinely scary, even when it was a cheesy model? Yes, I do. If I was... 10, I think I would think that would be very scary. I'm just saying. Well, I'm not 10. And I think even though it looks fake, I think like the silly model shot when it's in the water, it's a little puppet or whatever, you know, and they have the slow-mo and I still, it looks kind of hellish and nightmarish and I thought it looked scary enough. It doesn't matter that it looks super fake because it looks scary enough. Use your imagination, like we have to do for much of this episode. I know those Sea Serpent fans are at BBC Sea Serpent fans are out there somewhere. Post a comment and pack me up. It's not even that it looks fake. It's that the whole thing was kind of treated as cheesy. I don't know. No, I don't like the scene. I don't like the scene overall. I the, the, the whole don't fight push thing is like, wait, if you haven't read the book, it's not like, wait, what happened? What? I don't even think it would be clear what happened if you hadn't read the book. But uh. This yeah, there's so much in this episode. Yeah, open with the sea serpent. Then there's a little bit of I wonder if we've come to the end of the world. Cut, we're on the beach at the next island. <laughs> like, nope, nope, we're not. Um, <laughs> we're so this episode has the sea serpent, death water, the duffel putt island, and then uh, the very beginning of dark island. And dark island is our little cliffhanger as they're sailing. And the mist, the mist is back. That's right. Dark island looks like a mist, but it's a gray mist. It's kind of like it's kind of like the Incredible Hulk. The Incredible Hulk was originally gray and then later drawn as green. Just saying. So b- because of the sheer amount of random or weird just stuff, it doesn't have much of an arc in this episode. It's just a bunch of stuff together. I thought a, a, a good way to approach it might be let's just start with um, our best and worst, our favorite and least favorite things from this episode. Um Jim Fan, why don't you go first? You've been very negative towards this, so let's start with your favorite thing. What was your favorite thing in this episode? The thing that stood out to me the most that I found I found enjoyable, um, and I don't know if it was like snarky enjoyable or like genuinely enjoyable. I know those those, those are a fine line for me, but Lucy has a lot of stuff to do in this episode and some of her facial expressions were killing me. I was like, Oh my goodness. She's got some serving up some personality. Would I have to go up the stairs at night or may I do it in daylight? 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 Go up those stairs at night? Right. I'll do it. Don't try to stop me. But Lucy, an evil magician. We can't let you do it. Look, it's a risk to my life as well. I don't want to be cut up in bits by invisible swords. I found it very amusing just being on Lucy watch. You're right. She does have a lot to do. You know, she has to tell them, oh, you're being so greedy at Deathwater. And then she it's has like, to. like, stop fighting. 
fighting me. And then she's obviously got to, she gets to be really nervous about uh, the magician's book that she's gonna have to go look into, and then she gets, gets to look really creepy um, when she's going down the hall, and then she there's joy when she sees Ashley. Yeah, Sophie's got a lot that's asked of her in this episode. Yeah, and- it's pretty great. Yeah, I would say my least favorite thing. It was, I think sometimes in the BBC adaptations, they use the lack of special effects budget to their, like they play to their strengths and they, they find creative ways to make things work. In this episode, I was like, mm, I don't know about that. Uh, Duffel puds for sure. It, it wasn't, it wasn't really transporting me quite as I had hoped, you know, like Aslan is just like a floating head. It's like, well, it's because you. Yeah. Couldn't get the puppet in that room. That's why. <laughs> yeah, in both Deathwater and in the Magician's Book, Aslan is just composited in as a floating head. And yeah, you get the sense that was probably not done for creative reasons. <laughs> Guess it works well enough. But oh. it's so cool in the book when Aslan is, she turns around and Aslan is actually there standing in the hallway. Obviously, the duffel puds just don't work on any level whatsoever. Like such a conveniently placed shrub. So convenient. <laughs> yeah, it's just it, it, that there's no sense at all of, oh, the one-footed creature as you remember from the book. It's just, wait, what? It takes you a while to figure out what's going oh, on. Man, it is so good, though. Brilliant. Your best and worst uh, in this episode. Okay, I'm going to go with my worst, which is Sophie Wilcox. Her, uh, her, her performance in general? Her, her performance in this one. It just, it just bugged me. Oh. I mean, it was, it was. It was a choice. Part of like in one thing, like in one instance specifically, it's truly not her fault. So it's not really a fair criticism. Like at all. we said, a lot of asked of, is asked of her in this episode. Yeah, but you're also like, okay, so is Lucy. You got to step up to the plate. <laughs> it's one of the most pivotal characters uh, and one of the greatest. I mean, Lucy is one of the greatest heroes of Narnia. Oh, and yeah. at some point, it's just like, like when, you know, Gas is. Get away, girl. She's like, and she's just like, you know, doing her little I'm the queen of <laughs> laughing his back. Like, oh, the queen of Narnia. I'm the, I was like, I'm just, even some of the, like her reaction in the magic book where it's sort of like, you know, Aslan, no, n- never mind. Next page, you know? It's just like, she goes, oh, Aslan, yeah. hmm. You know, right. She just kind of goes to the next page. It's like, nothing to see here. Some of it just seems sort of stilted. And well, sure. I just couldn't. A lot rode on her. And I've contrasted, like, I think the best, as far as, like, main characters, where there's, like, a lot on them, Caspian and Ruby Deep are the two highlights, more or at least consistency. You know, there's a guy in our, my office who played baseball, and he actually said something one time. I, I thought, that's true for a lot of things in life. Someone said, oh, well, you know, baseball and the you know, college leagues. He goes, it's not that you can't find the same great plays or performances at the college level as the, versus the pros. The issue is consistency. Like the the real greats, it's not that they can never do it. Other people can never do anything great. It's that there's a consistency to the the people who are really good at their profession. And here it just was, it just annoyed me. Um, okay, so this was just it just kind of graded on my. I think I'm just used to it at, at this point. I think, um, but well, okay. you're a glutton for punishment. But there you no, go. <laughs> I'm not so battered, beaten, and wow. broken down as you, Glum Puddle. So. You only watched the Don Trader movie once, so there you go. I, I never, I, I never I saw back. the real one until now, apparently. So <laughs> and you're only three coming episodes so in, so. With, yeah, so that's that's the worst for me. Okay, how about your best? My best in this one, I really like the Koryakin actor. Oh, really? I really do. Some might say the change was for the better. 
Are they that conceited? Oh, just vanity, especially their chief, and the foolish things believe every word he utters. We did notice that. Oh, the trouble I've had with them. Once they were all for washing up their plates and knives before dinner, said it would save time afterwards. Then they started planting boiled potatoes to save cooking them when they were dug up. But what do they look like? We couldn't work it out. Ah, come Cody in the Facebook group specifically highlighted the Koryakin actor is like, you know, couldn't, uh, yeah, wasn't feeling it at all. Just something weird about it. Preston Lockwood is the Koryakin actor. Mm -hmm. Yep. And he, and he had an interesting, uh, done some, he'd done some acting before and stuff and a little bit of stuff on the West end. And a lot of these older actors, whether it's Ramondu or Koryakin, I, I feel like they fit in a little better and I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the stage presence that they, maybe some of the experience, there are some characters or maybe some images from some of these BBC that influence my uh, perception in my imagination. Like for example, Lucy, it's, I don't see Sophie Wilcox as Lucy when I read the books, but I do see a guy kind of like this Koryakin when I read the books, certainly a lot more like this guy than the Voids of the Dawn Treader, uh, the newer Voids of the Dawn Treader Koryakin. Yeah. I don't, I don't really agree with, I mean, I, I might've just been the costume, but just, you know, <laughs> Look like it came from Party City, which I get. The, the whole show is like that. Voids the Don Treader, men in tights. You know, I mean, we can just costumes. <laughs> sometimes it bothers you, sometimes it not. It's not always a rhyme or reason for it. But in that case, I was I was. I like Samuel West's Caspian. I don't like the tights. See, I got the, this feeling, this very distant feeling from Koryakin that like, was he actually there in the room with Sophie, or did they film this separately or something? Um, that may not be his fault, but whatever. Um, I, know, I think actually. if there's one, if there's one thing the actor playing Koryakin should do, it's make you feel like this character has a backstory. And I personally didn't feel that with Preston Lockwood um, or Billy Brown from the, the, the Walden movie. <laughs> um, I know you're laughing at the fact that an actor named Billy Brown played Koryakin. I know that's what's going on right now. <laughs> the old wizard played by Billy Brown. <laughs> Ian McKellen. The old. There you go. Christopher Lee and Billy Brown. <laughs> um, but oh sorry, Shel shelving the Walden talk. So my favorite thing. In the whole episode was, I think, the Death Water locations. And that's when they first arrive. There's It's kind of gray and overcast in that beach where they arrive at. And there's actually some really good effect shots. It might just be the really low resolution of you know what I'm seeing. But there's a couple shots where they're just, just characters having a dialogue scene. And the Dawn Treader is just kind of in the background. And it took me a second to even think, oh, that's an effect shot. And then they go down into this, when they actually get to Death Water... Looks very different than from what I imagine when I read the book. But there's like at pillars that were obviously designed. This is obviously not a naturally occurring, you know, location. Uh, so very different from the sense you get in the book. And I really like that change. I like the feeling that this place has a history behind it, that someone made it with a purpose and what happened to them and how many hundreds or thousands of years have they not been here um and what happened to them so i i love that death water i did thought it looked really interesting and evocative and suggested backstory to me and i i really like that and then there's that moment in i'll cheat a little bit and kind of have a little subheading there there's that moment where eustace is the one to notice aslan in death water I say, was I being stupid about something? Stupid? 
I've never seen such greed. Sire, this is a place with a person on it. Cody wrote in the Talking Beast Facebook group, he said, quote, I like that in the book, Eustace is one of the few characters not affected by the gold after it got him dragoned recently. Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. So I think that was that was a that was a worthwhile change right there. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, I'd say Deathwater on the whole, but the um, not that I love it, but the locations in particular I thought were really good. So that's my. You mean the locations for the overall episode? Uh, no, the locations for sorry, for Deathwater, uh, like the beach and Deathwater itself. I thought oh. the location was re- was really good, and uh, one one of the better locations in BBC so far. Um, on the whole. My least favorite thing, and yeah, I, like you, I could have picked a lot of things. I thought about just saying the pacing, but that'd be boring. So, one thing that stood out to me, just really like annoyed me, was the way the whole idea of there's invisible creatures is introduced. Because obviously, like Lucy, apparently is... they're blind. I didn't know that. <laughs> and they're invisible and blind. Yeah. Um, I know. I should have like right there, and she's like landing right in front of her. She's like, yeah. Okay. So that's that's point number one. Is that you know like there's the the footsteps, which hey, I appreciate the attempt to do the, the footstep. Yeah, it's like okay, that they, they, they have effort, tried something. They tried something creative, unfortunately didn't work. Where it's like they have the footprint kind of collapsing into the ground. It doesn't do it fast enough to kind of sell it. Why couldn't they just speed it up? Why not just like for the close-ups at least, just like speed right, it up right, so right. it goes. Yeah, whatever. Um, so. <laughs> At least they got the trampolines at live action later. So it's like they clearly, clearly, you know, Lucy's, you know, taking, you know, trying to get the thing out of her shoe and they're clearly walking right past her. And it's not like they're (laughs) they're in this open place. They would totally see her. And then, oh, and by the way, there's the bit before that where where Lucy's like, oh, you guys go on without me. And Jernian's like, you know, it says something like, you know, things that look that look safe and are safe are usually very different. See ya. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just leaves. Yeah, he just leaves. <laughs> yeah, and then when Lucy runs up to Caspian, you know, they're at Coriakin's house, and they're looking at the water pipe, and Lucy runs up to Caspian. Lucy! People invisible all around me, and they're giants or something, because they stomp, stomp along the ground, and they're going to ambush us back at the seashore. Invisible enemies cutting us off from the boat. Oh, there's, 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 there's invisible creatures that they're gonna get us. They're gonna cut us off from the boat. And it cuts to Caspian's reaction. He's like, like, oh, wonder what we're gonna do. <laughs> it's like he, like no big deal. Oh, Caspian, he took that really well. At this point, he's like, what's new? And then they look at the water pump, which they're standing approximately five inches away from. I know, and there's like, so there's an invisible person right here, like, right in front of you, who you just like slap you across the face. We better leave so they don't hear our conversation. Um, Oh my goodness. They're blind and deaf and invisible. Wow. It's tough being a duffel putt. Um, That's that's some rough magic right there. Corey Harkin was not kidding when he said rough magic. You know what's so annoying about it? I think it's one of those things where you would read the book and we, you know, what are the things we talked about? Hey, thus far, there's a lot of things working for BBC, John Treader, as far as, you know, there's not a lot of talking animals. There's a lot of things in their favor in terms of production. You think the one thing they'd be able to really get right, given their budget and limitations, is invisible people. (laughs) (laughs) They're relatively cheap to photograph. (laughs) Apparently not. So we we have front loaded this conversation with a lot of ha ha BBC low budget ha 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 looks so cheesy, but I try not to do too much of because it's tempting. Sometimes the BBC movies they have some shining moments, and then sometimes they get into this checkbox mode 
It's like they have a little list of like, well, we we reread it last night. We made our little list. Check. They're check. reciting the story, not retelling the story. That's an excellent. Can you say that again? I, I heard some angel music in the background when you said it. Say, <laughs> I'm going to be quiet. Say it one more time. Well, I stole this from another Narnie Weber from uh, long, long ago. Uh, but they BBC is often reciting the story instead of retelling the story. Oh. Was that Caleb? Yes. I knew it! Caleb Axon, <laughs> there's a shout out for you. There you go. Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's a thing where it's so easy. People say this all the time. Oh, you're not allowed to criticize BBC because they had a low budget. And there are things where, first off, it is what it is. Yeah. Regardless of the reason it is what it is, I'm watching it and I have the reaction I have regardless of what the reason is. But there are things where it's like, you know, they could have done this. This is not a budgetary limitation. It's just a creativity limitation, which also takes time, I guess. It takes time to develop ideas and maybe they didn't have that. So, okay, that's our best and worst. Uh, but I wanted to transition to a little bit away from, you know, oh, BBC, haha, cheesy, Monty Python, yada, yada. There's... A bit that Samuel pointed out in the Talking Beast Facebook group, he had a question about the the magician's book scene. And uh, Samuel says, quote, how do you feel about the interpretation of a spell to make things visible? It's a small detail, but Lewis does not include the words of the spell within the book, whereas BBC decides to use a few simple nonsense words to represent the spell. That all creatures which magic has made invisible shall again be seen. Breathe soft upon this page. And utter the magic words, Belly, Belly, Bailet. Lucy. Belly, Belly, Bailet. Which I googled, it doesn't seem to mean anything, does it? <laughs> I only Lucy don't I think googled so. It first. <laughs> Lucy pulls out her phone. I don't know if that means anything. Um, <laughs> I better make sure. Okay, it's Siri. It's magic. You can explain anything away by just saying, like, it's magic. Siri, what does belly, belly, pellet mean? <laughs> Siri says, here's what I found on the web for belly, belly, pellet. <laughs> here's, some, uh, here's some Google suggestions. <laughs> the blowing bit, by the way, she blows on the page. And that reminded me of the bit in Walden where Lucy blows on the page in the Book of Incantations. Characters all come into place. So in the book, Lucy finds the page and then just says, she said the spell. Um, and we don't know exactly what it is. I guess we don't need to. Though there's a funny little bit with the narrator. I think it's the eavesdropping spell where the narrator says something like, and then Lucy said the words, nothing could possibly convince me to tell you what the words were or something like that. It's like a cute little like, I mean, it's like, well, Narnia is real. And so the magic is real. And I mean, uh -huh. the spells are real. So I'm not going to tell you what it is. Right. Because we can't be messing with that. Right. I think it's a good example of, I guess, this whole scene, both adaptations, really. It sheds light on how the whole Magician's Book chapter is so uniquely suited to be a book, not a movie. I agree. I mean, all, really all the spells, you know, Lucy sees herself and she sees, you know, a more beautiful version of herself. Well, of course, that's entirely subjective. The best example, though, is when in the book, when Lucy reads that story that she can't remember. She only see a very, very blurry, can't quite remember what the details were, but it made her feel something and she'll always remember it. Of course, you can just say that in a book, but in a movie, there's no there's no way to do that. Yeah, you have to be you have to literally present something. You can't just say that something was there, which I guess brings us to the whole thing with the spell. You can't just have have a title card come up saying, "And then Lucy said the spell." You have to have her saying something, and so they had to Ridiculous. write something nonsense <laughs> for her go. to say. So it's an example of they had to come up with something, and 
I don't know. I don't like either version. I guess this is like, yeah. okay, they're, ma- they're magic words, I guess. Okay, I'll buy it. Where I guess the Walden version is worse. Where it's just this, yeah, Walden is this stupid, cheesy little <laughs> poem thing. They're trying to be creative. Yeah, they're trying. It was sort of interesting how they, like with the whole magician's room scene, and, and Jim, I think you maybe picked up on some of this too, is they tried to do some creative stuff. Like I actually have to say some of the music as she's walking down the hallway, I thought was one of the better musical selections yeah, in the BBC, really in this well, BBC ver- uh, episode. I-, I thought it was really good. It's, I mean, it, it holds its own even today and it ages well. And it, I mean, it's some one of, one of those bits of the score where I think actually, if I did a modern adaptation, I would hope this would sound kind of like this. There's the fisheye lens though, that really distracts from it. Uh, fish islands you know and it's like okay now you're just being weird <laughs> yeah and i i, I, I want to be like i want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say this is them trying to do something creative and say right. oh we'll make everything distort and then you overuse it but i wonder if it was just them this is the only set they had where they could film this and it was so tight and narrow they had to use a fisheye lens to be able to see anything at all whatever either way jim fan what were you gonna say oh i was gonna say like the whole magician's house thing like the whole like the hallway bit and i think we all kind of commented on the filming of it and the editing i i thought it was effective i thought it was very yeah i thought it was really interesting when we got to the book scene that the eavesdropping spell Mm -hmm. that's in the book and it's kind of a really big deal in the book. I don't think I've ever seen it adapted except in the focus on the family, yeah. the radio drama, which I find very interesting because in the book, it's it's meant to be kind of pivotal in kind of understanding Lucy's character and where her insecurities lie. Like she's more insecure about what people think about her. And in the movies, it in the adaptation, the film ad- adaptations, it's like they don't go there. They focus more on the beauty part. Like she she wants to be beautiful like Susan and they make a big deal out of that because it's more visual, which it, that that is my explanation for why it is. But I just find it interesting because I, I feel like Lu- uh, C.S. Lewis was making a very specific point when he did the whole eavesdropping spell because it was supposed to tell you something about Lucy and then also be like. A moral moment, maybe? Like, here's a why this is a bad idea. It's something that has consequences, maybe, for the rest of her life, where she says, tells Aslan, I'll, I'll never be able to, to, to forget what I heard. Yeah. I find it, I'm with Jim Van, I find it curious that people want to drop that one, partly because I, if I were think, looking at the two, and they said, hey, we only kind of have time and pacing for one, I'd say, well, the eavesdropping spell would be easier to adapt. It's kind of weird to try to do the, you know, the beauty spell because then you have like like Walden had the weird da 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 you know they had the the whole Susan bit there and then we have to have Will and Anna back in the movie yeah they kind of like doll up Lucy and change her hair and then they just change Susan's hair and like in the comparison photo it doesn't yeah it's it doesn't really have a lot of gravitas in that one and then Aslan says oh it's oh we've been guilty of the sin of jealousy which he does not say in the book yeah you're right and. The other thing, here's the other thing and why I think the spell of the eavesdropping spell is more interesting because let's be honest, especially like for us guys, right? For a lot of people, they wouldn't look at the beauty spell and say, uh-huh. But the eavesdropping spell. Anybody at anybody. 
goes that goes to a real core part of like basic human flaws and human nature and a lot of people a lot of really good people a lot of us like if we were really honest with ourselves we'd say wait a minute i can really find out what someone thinks about me and i like the idea that like lucy is like she's in that she's reading this magical book and she's tapping in, into things that she should not be tapping into yeah. it's like she sort of learns oh this is why we don't have the power to to hear to know what our friends think think about us yeah it, it, it taps into what she shouldn't be tapping into, it reveals something about her, but it also, what I love about that part in the book, it reveals something to the reader about the reader. Because, okay, if you don't struggle with jealousy against a sibling or someone you know and you wish wish you had their looks, like, or just jealousy in general, some people, they don't struggle with that the same way. Some people do and some people don't. But the eavesdropping thing is a much more, maybe it's a cultural thing today, I don't know. But certainly, I think with a lot of people, it for me, reading the book, it reveals a lot about me. And that's much more interesting as a reader. And it's, I think it would have been more interesting as part of the story. But I think, unfortunately, this part of the, of the episode gets into the checkbox mentality. And they kind of make a list of, okay, here's some spells from the book. Um, which ones? Okay, well, then include this one, this one, this one. You know, the Magician's Book in both adaptations, they're trying to get through it pretty quick. And the eavesdropping one is probably the one you'd have to spend the most time on. It's such a cool part of the book, though. Like, I feel like the Magician's Book is such a, it's just like an evocative part of the book where it, it's, it's very fascinating. Mm -hmm, I agree. And so I've always, like, I want to see it done justice and like given the time because it's so cool. It is so uniquely suited to be in a book. It is. I'm not saying it can't be a version of it done in a movie. But what's interesting, you know. The fact that they don't have eavesdropping spell in either ad- in either adaptation, uh, in the book, one of the you know Aslan tells Lucy off. It's mainly the eavesdropping spell is the thing that he calls her out on. Yes, they don't have that in here at all, and so actually jealousy is what he calls her out on here, which, like you said, is not as compelling. And there's an interesting line. Aslan, it is you. You have been guilty of the sin of jealousy. How long have you been jealous of your sister? Are you angry with me? Yes. But you have also been very brave. You know what? Let me get your reactions first. How do you feel about Lucy saying, are you angry with me? And Aslan saying, yes. Uh, Rillian, your raw reaction to that. I kind of liked it. I kind of felt it hinted to the Aslan isn't safe bit, which doesn't get enough treatment, especially in... It's hard with the BBC versions with the stuffed lion <laughs> to make the lion seem dangerous. <laughs> That's composited in. So I, 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 that my gut reaction was I appreciated it. Okay, what do you think, Jim fan? I'm, I'm not opposed to it on like a deep level, but the be like the whole thing about like, are you angry with me? Yes, but you've also been very brave. So like the fact that you've been brave cancels out. The fact that you did something stupid, I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, mm, I don't think those two go together. Right. You can be like, yeah, I'm really disappointed with you. That was not great. Um, but I'm proud that you were brave to come here. So <laughs> let's make better choices next time. <laughs> it just struck me as something that I think I could I see people saying, Aslan would never say that or whatever. And I'm totally with you, Rillian, that I think I did like how blunt Aslan was. I think there are lines that, like in the silver chair, my favorite scene in all, all the whole Chronicles of Narnia mm-hmm. is Jill meeting Aslan in the silver chair. And there's lines like, I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and upper cities and realms. And like, if. Whereas, like, do you eat girls? No, 
But like, there's a lot of lines Aslan says. I think that like, if the series had ended with Don Shredder, um, and I said, what if would Aslan ever say something like this? I was swallowed up, girls and boys. So many people would say, no, never. Aslan would never say that. And I think this is one of those lines where. The fact that he just says, yes, I'm angry with you. It's one of those things that might strike you as, no, Aslan wouldn't say that, but maybe he would. He's not a tame lion. Yeah. I, well, I think the big, one of the biggest losses, uh, and my, my wife and I say this to each other a lot, just as you go, you know, you go through life, you make certain decisions, and sometimes it's weird not to see some kind of butterfly effect, and you wonder how life might have turned out differently if you've made different decisions, even just innocuous decisions, right, where there's no clear, oh, yes, this was clearly a bad decision. You know, sometimes you just... Look at how things turn out, you know. And one of the things that's it's been sort of a comfort to us, it's sort of a challenge and a comfort, but we recite the line a lot, we'll never know what would have happened. And that's something I think as you get older and you look at decisions you make in the moment and you do the best you can and maybe you make a good decision Maybe it's questionable. Maybe you do something that's bad and it turns out okay. Or maybe it's an okay decision. It seems like at the time and it doesn't turn out so good. You know, sometimes you think and think and think and you can drive yourself mad. And at some point you have to say, we will never know what would have happened. And it's one of the great lines that Lewis says multiple times throughout the Chronicles of Narnia. And they cut it out of this this, this scene. This actually related to this scene right here where, you know, uh, Lucy in the book says something like, you know, do you think we would have gone on being friends if I hadn't eaves yeah. dropped? And Aslan's like, and he'll uh-huh. say, we will never know. Because she she kind of says, well, I'll never be able to forget that. Because he said, he explained, he de- Aslan defends her friend. is basically says she was weak. She was trying to impress this other girl. She does care for you. And Lucy basically says, well, I'll never be able to forget that she said that. And then she kind of realizes, oh, do you think we would have maybe gone on to be good friends, great friends even? And he says, well, we'll never know what would have happened. And it just gives more gravitas to the scene and the decisions Lucy made in the moment. Uh, even as she is doing something brave. And so I think it's a missed opportunity. It's a shame they couldn't do that. And it probably is just more for pacing reasons, which comes yeah. to the heart of the problems of both adaptations, I guess. Just trying to get through it so quick. Agreed. Well, I don't know, because they cut out a sea serpent in one version, and it wasn't too terribly missed. So... <laughs> That's true. And then they made the other one mega-sized. Well, in fairness, Dark Trader is so episodic, there are a lot of things you could technically cut out and not notice. Speaking of getting through things quick, we got through a lot of things on our list pretty quick. Before we adjourn and go to post-chatter, is there anything we want to mention in the episode itself. Uh, I think we should talk about Drinian's temper tantrum. <laughs> oh, yeah. What? What the heck was that? Quiet spot down there in the bay. Surely, sir, it'd be best to move in then. Well, let's head for that headland. Quite right. Well, what are we to do? Well, I suppose we should follow your lead. Ah! What is it, Drinian? Nothing, sir. Except the voyage is devilish enough without three or four captains to the ship. He starts pulling the rowboat up, up the shore and he's like, eh, eh. and then, you know, and then Caspian, instead of reacting the way you or I would react, like, what is your deal? What's wrong with you? Caspian's just like, oh, hi, Drinian. Drinian's like, oh, sorry, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen or whatever. And and obviously, no, like, oh, it's, it's just trying to be a captain. With three other captains on the ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but my first thought was like, this this guy's the captain. 
This guy's the captain. <laughs> like he's oh, completely man. lost you it. He's crabby. Crabby. What's funny about it is because they're not doing any more bickering than they were any other point in the series. They just it's like the constant bickering. He's like, wow, Eustace goes through this massive transformation is a lot less annoying. And now is the time. It's just it's just pushed him over the edge by It's this not point. like they do anything with it later. It's almost like, oh, this is the origin story of like he's gonna go he's gonna <laughs> yeah. It's he's gonna about start, to jump I, off the side of the ship. He's gonna mutiny or something. He's gonna walk himself off the plank with a cannonball <laughs> like the guy in Master and Commander. You know, this is where he's. Yeah, I was thinking crack. like the the the, the start. There's so many Star Trek episodes where it's like the, the the captain goes crazy or whatever, something like that. It's gonna be something like that. Nope. He's just by journey and barely appears the rest of the episode. I uh, should mention that Kenny Baker plays one of the Duffelpuds. That's kind of cool. R two D two from hey. Star Wars. Is he the guy who's mimicking or uh, mirroring the chief? He definitely gets a trampoline. Oh, I don't remember if he has <laughs> no, I think any lines he's the one next to the chief on the trampoline. <laughs> yes, I, I think thought he correct. looked familiar. That's really cool. Yeah. The one doing uh-huh. the somersaults. Uh-huh. So uh, I don't, I don't know if there's a need to go into overall thoughts. This one to me was just kind of vomited all over the screen. Um, <laughs> That's the one way to put it. I, I like how Glumfiddle's like. So there's really no need for me to give my overall thoughts other than I can compare this episode to Vomit. <laughs> okay, fine. We can do overall thoughts. Yeah. Just, uh, there were parts of it that reminded thoughts, me. Except, I'll just say this. Because I'm the host <laughs> and the producer, I can do stuff like that, you know? You can do what you want. <laughs> yeah, there were parts that reminded me of Prince Caspian a bit. A bit. Just in the way. Oh, it's a good way or a bad way? The bad way. A part that reminded me of BBC (laughs) Prince Caspian. There is no good way. Just (laughs) just how I'm a BBC (laughs) Prince Caspian. Just how fast it went, and major checklist. And I like the death. I like a lot of things in the Death Waters scene, but yeah, I didn't get very much pleasure out of this one. And then the Death Water cliffhanger at the end, which really excuse me, Dark Island. It looks like a mist. Why? Oh, I know. We all got shivers down our spines, and it wasn't for the reason they thought yeah. it was going to be. I, I guess we'll talk about that in the next episode. Um, but anyone else want to summarize their overall thoughts in some way over Dang the top? cliffhanger. That's what I got to say again. Like, why you got to be doing that? There were a couple moments, like especially the first part, I think. I think I came back and I said, this was so much fun. There were so many little, not the whole thing, but little moments that I just, I just felt this little magical feeling, and I just enjoyed and I didn't really get that from this one. Yeah. So I was more like watching it with like my eyebrows like pasted like upwards my forehead, just being like, did they really just do that? <laughs> I had forgotten all about it, honestly. I, I couldn't remember anything about this episode except really the duffel puds. I was Me the neither. Only, I was like, there's a trampoline somewhere. I remember the house. <laughs> I remember like, oh yes, that's right. We see the kind of I, I had mixed feelings about the house because part of me liked the way the house looked, and then part of me thinks, like, it's just like a house in England. I'm like, it's kind of a weird house in England, <laughs> but I don't know. It's, like, it's, like, it's kind of all, got a weird look to it, which maybe it's supposed to. It's a wizard's, I don't know. It's a magician's house, I don't know. This episode had so much crammed into it, but maybe it's, you know, the next episode is going to have four islands or three and a half, including the mist. Yeah, it was, was going to have, uh, oh, here we are calling it the mist. Ah. <laughs> I mean, the, the next episode, which will be the last episode. The gray mist. Yeah, it's going to have uh, Dark Island and Romandu's Island and then the end of the world. Yep. So we'll see if they can bring this to... Uh, maybe it's can they make it for 30 minutes. Can it be like, well, they crammed so much in episode three, but it made for episode four a little better. I'm hoping they can 
Kind of. Who sick wants the to take a bet if the majority of the Dark Island happens over the credit scene? Oh, <laughs> anyone no, anyone want to take a bet? No, I think it will. Pretty I sure it doesn't. I didn't even. I did not even. Uh, I wasn't even really paying attention. I didn't notice that. There's a few things in this episode now. I need to go back. I'm gonna have to like rewatch the bit with like the the water pump and Caspian sort of. Oh dear, I wonder if they can hear us. <laughs> See, I would say, and this speaks to how all, people are probably confused, like, have they seen this before? We have, but it's been a very, very long time. Long so, time. I would say, again, if there's two things the BBC version should be able to do well, that should play to their strengths, invisible people and darkness. And an island you can't see. <laughs> you literally can't <laughs> yeah. see. It just sounds. So uh, I'm optimistic that Dark Island, at least, can, okay. be, uh, can be well to come on, BBC. You've got this We're one, I believe in you. I feel like they're going to fall into the checkbox routine, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see we'll what see. happens. Uh, darkness we'll checkbox. People, people having nightmares checkbox. People going losing their brains checkbox. And <laughs> bird check. Is it white? Uh, maybe we'll see. Check. <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh, we're going to continue this discussion in our post-show chatter. If you want to hear that, click the link in the description. Thank you, Patreon supporters. There are still some things in this Google Doc here, list of stuff we wanted to talk about that we couldn't fit into this episode, and we're going to uh, go through them uh, and maybe do some com- uh, some comparisons with the Walden version as well, since we kind of try to avoid that generally through these to give BBC their due. Rillian, would you go ahead and read the outro? Uh, just checkbox through it, or do you want me to... Do you want me to retell it or uh, recite it? You can just recite it, actually. Oh, okay. You've been listening to Talking Beasts, the Narnia podcast from NarniaWeb.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and give us five stars on iTunes. Post a comment on NarniaWeb.com or in the Talking Beasts Facebook group. Visit Patreon.com slash NarniaWeb to support this podcast and get exclusive content, including more episodes. You can also email us at GlumPuddle at NarniaWeb.com, Rillian at NarniaWeb.com, or Jim Fan, what's yours again? Jim Fan at Until next time, further up and further in. Bye.